Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 54 of Let's Be Real. I'm your host, Nicole, and I'm so excited about the conversation I have for you today with my guest, Terrence Lester, who has written a book called When We Stand. You guys are going to love this conversation. I know that it's going to open your eyes to some things that you maybe haven't been thinking about, as well as some challenges just that Terrence has for all of us. And I ask him a really specific question about an experience I have um, when I'm driving my kids to high school. So I'm looking forward to you guys here. That, but as you know, we launched the miracle moment last week. It was so exciting to kind of finally get the book out in the world where you guys can have it. And this particular book really is about healthy relationships and figuring out how to be better in our most important relationships takes a whole community and it takes some work. And so we wanted to do something to help that be better. So I want to let you guys know that we have a coaching experience starting in June that actually will involve a whole community of people walking through the content together, as well as um, teaching by me, practical exercises each week and a live Q&A. And just for you, my Let's Be Real audience, we have a discount code It is LBR30. If you put that in in checkout, when you go to my website, NicoleUnis.com, check out the Miracle Moment 30-Day Experience and use that code for 30% off. There are hundreds of you already in the course. Cannot wait to get started. Would love to have you with me. Okay, without further ado, here's my conversation with Terrence. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Let's Be Real podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Yunus, and I believe we need all the help we can get when it comes to living a full and free life. Here you'll find honest truth, practical tips, and perspective changes that help you embrace the miracle that is your life. It's an in-process conversation that's going to be unfiltered, and it better be fun. Let's get real together. Welcome to Let's Be Real. I'm here with my new friend, Terrence Lester. Terrence, thanks for joining us. I want to ask you, before we even get started, you're an activist, you are an academic, you are a writer of books, and we have a twin book birthday coming um, in May, because we both have a book coming out on the same day. So welcome to Let's Be Real. And I want to start by getting really real with you. Um, I just read your, your latest blog post about an experience that you had in a grocery store. I think it was even last week. And um, as we enter into the conversation about justice, poverty, race, how we could be a part of it, can you just tell us a little bit about your reflections on your personal experience just last week? Yeah, well, thank you for having me, Nicole. I feel like we are uh, kindred uh, family already. Awesome. I'm call I'm claiming you as my my cousin. <laughs> I'm um, glad to be cousins. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um. But so one of the things that I try to communicate in the blog that you're referring to is that as a as a black man uh, living in this country, I'm always finding myself in spaces and places where I have to constantly either explain myself Mm -hmm. or uh, find ways to be equal or find ways to be seen. Mm -hmm. And so this particular blog was about discrimination. It was about my hair because I've grown it out. I mean, I think many... Thank you. Thank you. I mean, Um, I know our our listeners can't see it, but I'm just going to go ahead and say, yeah, it looks good. 
Thank you. Well, you know, I grew my hair out because of the pandemic mm-hmm. and um, I, I had gone into the, this grocery store and I had ordered something and I went over to a table. Uh, firstly, when I got there, you know, the grocery store is lodged in a, a predominantly suburban area. I was greeted with um, kind of like very mean mugs and cold stares and mm-hmm. even some type of questioning from the security guard. And so I had on my mask. I'm doing the mask thing because of COVID. Right. I order my stuff and then I go over to the uh, little space and I'm sitting down trying to catch up on some work. And then this guy who works, uh, he may have been a manager. I don't know his role, but he comes over to me and he starts questioning me as if um, like I wasn't supposed to be there. He's mm. looking at my hair. Um, he's looking at my clothes. I was dressed down. I was in a hoodie. Yeah. You mentioned and, like, I wish I, you know, I wasn't in a suit. Yeah. I wasn't know? in the suit. And he starts to ask me all of these questions. And at, at first I'm like, okay, maybe the store is trying to like limit the number of people that are in, in the mm-hmm. store sitting down and working and stuff. But I started to look over and other people were doing the same thing I was doing, but mm-hmm. I was the one that was being asked all of these questions. And um, I'll never forget this weird uh, look that he gave towards my hair. He was just looking at my hair. Mm. Um, and I felt so like, I don't know, dehumanized. Mm. I felt unseen, but I also felt judged for like just existing in my natural state. Um, mm. And, you know, I responded, I said, Hey, I paid for my food. Cause he started questioning, uh, did I pay for my food and all these things. And eventually I walked out and this, it's just those moments, Nicole, where you go, when will we ever get it? Um, that any person, myself, other people from other ethnic groups are worthy. Um, mm. because we're all, you know, we all have inherent worth and value. And so, you know, it's just really hard dealing with those circumstances. He he had no idea. I'm like a, you know, I mean, you have person. four degrees. You're like getting your, more, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. and that, and that's, you know, I, the reason I even just wanted to start there was because one of the things I'm trying to do on this podcast is just say, Hey guys, let's just enter into each other's stories. Let's just have empathy and think about many, many folks have never had an experience like that. But most people I know have had an experience where they stepped into a circle where they distinctly felt like they were made to not belong or they distinctly felt. And I just, I so much of me wants to say, guys, I want you to think about what it would feel like to carry that all the time. And the yeah. reason I wanted to start there, Terrence, is because obviously you do work in with poverty, with homelessness. And I'm just, I'm wondering where this how that empathy of your own experiences, obviously in a very, you're in a very different track of your life at this point in your life, but yet you're so connected to this work. Can you tell us a little bit about like where that passion came from that's brought you to where you are today? Yeah. uh, All great points. I I do think we need to uh, notice each other more. Mm -hmm. Um, Specifically the work that I'm doing now derives from two uh, places. And I think anybody who is living and breathing uh, can relate to uh, this idea of uh, pain. I think mm-hmm. pain is a, a universal uh, language. It's mm-hmm. a part of the, you know, the human uh, suffering that we all 
you know, go through at various points. And so my passion uh, for advocating for people experiencing homelessness derives from my own personal pain of, you know, feeling unseen, uh, being put out of classes when I was in high school, mm. uh, being overlooked. Uh, some, in most cases, many educators didn't know. Some nights I would, uh, you know, run away from home and sleep in parks and uh, mm. find myself like uh, living from a friend's house to a friend's house um, and not really having, you know, people really take time to understand what I was actually going through. Mm. I'll never forget. I had one teacher. Her name is, uh, her name was Miss West. Mm. Uh, she's, she's still alive, but she was my geometry, geometry teacher. And she would always like walk over to me and like, um, say like things like, I know that you're probably going through a lot and I just want you to know that you're valued mm. and, you know, I believe in you and, you know, I think one day you're going to be a great leader and all those things. Uh, She was probably the only teacher throughout my high school career that would say things like that. And even later on, I ended up uh, becoming a minister and ministering at her Mm. church, you know, and uh, sometimes she would walk up to me and just say, I, you know, I had no idea um, that, you know, encouraging you would turn into what God is doing in your Mm. life. And, and so a lot of, a lot of the the passion that I have was was grounded in the pain and and the suffering that mm. I experienced early on, but most people find themselves in in a place where they have the pain, but they never allow it to be transform them or mm-hmm. transform into something that God can use yes. to literally bring hope and healing to other people mm. yeah, oh and I my think goodness, this, that's this, so good the, the second thing is just. I mean, we live in a world right now where there's an empathy deficit, mm-hmm. you know, we, we wake up every single day um, and we feel even now in the present moment, we feel the, the weight of apathy, mm-hmm. right? And indifference that is hovering over uh, communities between neighbors, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the context of how businesses are run, et cetera. And I do not like apathy and indifference and numbness and not uh, seeing other people, especially those who are, you know, without an address. And I always ask people, you know, what if you were known for the the worst moment of your life? Mm. Um, And many of us have known those worst moments. And many of us have had people to come alongside us to help us through those Mm -hmm. worst moments. So how dare we uh, stand in a, in a, position with all of the grace that we've received and not extend that uh, same uh, fellowship of grace to other people who may uh, be physically suffering. Hmm. Gosh, Terrence, that's so, so good. Uh, That whole idea of um, allowing pain to transform and then asking, and I'm I'm curious too about in your work, um, one of the things that I've been working on in my own work is this whole idea of the big sort, like we just surround ourselves with people who think like us, who vote like us, who believe like us. And so there's this gap in communities. And I'm curious what, if anything, you have to offer of your wisdom. Like you said, you were in the suburban grocery store and you had this experience. And I'm not, I'm not anti-suburb and we don't need to deal with right. how we've gotten where we are. Let's just like be where we are and then figure out what does it look like 
for those who do contact me and they say, I don't know what to do. Like I care, I want to care, but their lives look so sordid that they don't know even how to care. Does that make sense? I don't know if you can answer that, but this is off topic, guys. This is not on the interview questions. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're all constantly wrestling with walking across the line. Mm-hmm. We're all constantly in a space where we're trying to to figure out how we can be the best versions of our, our, ourselves, and also, um, you know, we're thinking about life as a whole, Mm -hmm. you know, what will my life, uh, be known for? Uh, uh, how will my life make a difference? If any difference at all, uh, even if it's just like for the people I'm around in my family or my friendships, et cetera. Um, but then there comes a point where we find ourselves at, um, places of crossroads where, you know, people may veer in different directions in terms of perspective and worldview, and we may uh, take another road that leads us down another trail. Uh, but when we think about even the metaphor of the road, we all have this commonality that we are on a journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that has pushed me to be a bridge builder and a person that engages in all sorts of conversations is this basic premise that all people are worthy. Mm. Um, all people are worthy to be heard, to be seen, and to to find the space where they belong. And uh, even my definition of what a home is is uh, based upon not 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 just based solely on like a, a building or a structure or a roof. Mm. It's based upon creating spaces where people feel seen, accepted, mm. and, and like they belong. And so my life's mission. It's a creative world with no one invisible, but also to ensure that people who come into my presence feel like they are at home mm. because you never know where a person may be in their social location or in their, um, their, on their journey of life and what words or, you know, what, uh, example that mm. you may be able to display to even, uh, inspire them or create the type of mental shifts yeah. that need to happen in their lives. Um, I'm not a person that likes to uh, build walls. I'm like, I'm, I feel like I'm a person that likes to build longer tables. And as mm-hmm. long as I uh, embody that mentality, wherever I go, I can build longer tables. Mm. But oh, the, man. the challenge is, the challenge is, Nicole, is when other ta- other people don't extend that same table of fellowship. That's right. That's yeah. right. Well, and I just, I'm thinking about, I want to hear about the origin story behind your nonprofit, Love Beyond Walls, because I think we're getting to it. But I love that you also shared the story of Miss West, because for those who are thinking, oh, but like, I don't know how to engage with, uh, you know, people without an address, or I don't know how to engage in the work of justice, which we'll talk about in a second. You do know how to engage in the, in the, <laughs> in the work of powerful words of affirmation and like, there's people in our lives who feel unseen, no matter where you are. Like, unseen does not exist like not in some zip codes. Like it doesn't matter what zip code you live in. And so I love that we've got that little thing to already like hang on to coming out of this interview. But tell us a little bit more about the origin story behind Love Beyond Walls and sort of some stories maybe you could share with us that you've experienced through that work. Yeah. um, Yeah. So, I mean, I I started Love Beyond Walls. (laughs) 
<laughs> Apple said, that's what I thought. Okay. You're like, yeah. yeah, I did. I started it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I st- <laughs> that's funny. We have to edit that out. We will. But, yeah. Um, Love Beyond Wall started a little over seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way that I started was non-traditional. I actually started it using my cell phone uh, early mm-hmm. on when I started researching ways to start nonprofit organizations. I wasn't actually researching um, like other NGOs. I started mm-hmm. researching tech companies. And okay. one of the reasons I started researching tech companies uh, was because I understood where society and culture was going as it relates to the, to the power of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like right now, you can refresh any app on your phone and it's another story in 140 characters or less, depending mm-hmm. upon whatever app. And I knew that the way forward in mobilizing people would come through the power of storytelling mm-hmm. as well as um, mobilizing people through uh, applications. And so uh, the first campaign I ever did, uh, my wife and my family gave me permission to live underneath a bridge mm-hmm. uh, for, a little, for a little over a month uh, where I ate out of trash cans and uh, was put out of shelters. And uh, I remember uh, one night in December, 2013, uh, we were standing under, under the bridge and we were, it was like 10 degrees mm-hmm. and we were literally, uh, we had to create this fire pit. Some of me and my uh, friends experienced homelessness and we were throwing donated clothes into this pit because there was no firewood. Mm. I remember my friend Tony walking over to his tent because it was raining and he came over to me and he says, um, here, he gave me his last pair of donated socks because mm. my, my feet were like uh, popsicles. Mm. And so leveraging, you know, my cell phone, uh, we were able to reunite people with their family members. We got about 20 people off of the streets, just making those intentional connections. While you were, while you lived. While I was. Street. While I was on the streets, I was documenting all of these things. And so like that became the origin story of Love Beyond Walls. About two months later, we had a a building and we started uh, doing intentional programs with uh, helping people to uh, recover their identification Mm -hmm. cards, uh, to reunite with family members, uh, to give access to sanitation and grooming and support services Mm -hmm. and all of those things. And it kind of grew out of this wanting to educate people through storytelling mm. every single second, every uh, day uh, of what it uh, takes to survive uh, experiencing homelessness, mm. right? I was going through this, but I was trying to show people that if you're really called to serve someone, you 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 got to be daring enough to take off your shoes of comfort to walk mm. into somebody else's. Oh my goodness, Terrence. I didn't, I didn't realize it was a month. Like I knew that you had done that, but I didn't know it was that long. What was sort of the beginning and end? I mean, just, and maybe a, a couple of low and high points through that experience. Yeah. I think one of the, I'll never forget. I was, um, it was a day, it was probably day two. Um, the temperature was dropping and it was it was supposed to get underneath 10 degrees. And so we literally had to walk around for hours on end to like just maintain body heat and body mm-hmm. warmth. And I'll never forget, we had found a shelter in the city 
that was had opened up like a warming station. And so we walked, uh, me and like four of my friends, we walked like uh, two miles to get there only to be 15 minutes late before the last shut off. Mm. And they turned us away. Mm. So we had to turn around. We had to walk another two miles to go to a nearby restaurant that's open for 24 hours. Mm. We walk in. This guy bought, buys everybody a cup of coffee and we're sitting there. And as long as we kept drinking coffee, uh, we could sit there and stay there just to keep warm. And I'll never forget looking over my shoulder and I saw this lady experiencing homelessness. She had like four bags with her and she kept nodding off. And the guy behind the counter uh, was just yelling at her, you can't fall asleep. By this time, it's two degrees outside. Mm. You know, you can't fall asleep. I told you, you fall asleep one more time. I'm just going to put you out. Mind you, I had been up for almost 24 hours mm. and I couldn't even imagine how long this lady had mm. been up because when you're living on the streets, you don't get a chance to fully rest. You right. never fully rest. And she fell asleep again and she was put out in two degree weather. And I, <clears throat> I, I, um, we never saw her again. Mm. And I, you know, even to this moment, like I, you know, just reliving that story. Yeah. I think about the the number of people who are mm. constantly antagonized for the suffering that they may be facing. Mm. Um, that in many ways they don't have any control over, because homelessness is just not, you know, placed in a bucket of addiction or a bucket of mm-hmm. a mental health issue. Everybody experiencing the plight arrives to the plight in a different. Mm-hmm. vehicle so mm-hmm. to speak um i mean what greater way to understand this through the lens of covid-19 where so many people were furloughed mm-hmm. people are still uh laid off from work uh right now statistics are, are showing that there's over 10 million people who are 3 uh, 3 or 4 months behind on rent or mortgage yeah. right now mm-hmm. in this country and other research suggesting that the residue from 2020 is going to increase the experience of homelessness by 40% in mm. 2023. Mm. And so job loss is the leading factor of why people don't have an address. And then other circumstances like the loss of life. Mm. We saw so many people lost loved ones this mm-hmm. year. Um, you know, uh, becoming ill where you can no longer function or work. And so mm-hmm. we just, we can't generalize and put people in a bucket. Every single person has a story and every single person's story is worthy uh, to be heard. Mm. Gosh, that's so good, Terrence. Thanks for sharing so openly about, I mean, I'm just, I'm in awe of your experience. I think about like the smallest step, you know, just how hard it is to look someone who's homeless in the eye or, or really just offer love. There's just so much, I don't know what's their fear, um, maybe lack of wanting to engage, like step into pain. So even taking us back to what you said at the beginning about, you know, we have to do our own work to engage with our own pain in a way that allows us to be transformed, to become, I think, more human uh, together. So Love Beyond Walls started there and, you know, quickly grew into this. So sort of tell, take us to today. Like, how has that work informed your next book about seeking justice together? And where, what does it look like sort of on a day-to-day for you? Yeah. Um, when, when I think about the, the conversation surrounding togetherness, um, 
I think it is essential for us to think about how we wish to see the world. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't hope to see the world changed and not want to connect with others to see that change happen or mm-hmm. see this that change through. Um, I mean, right now you have billions of people um, all accessing information from the palm of their hands through a smart device. And at any given moment, you can have social media trauma because you can experience different traumatic events uh, from all around the globe at once. And the real question is, what do you do with that? Mm -hmm. You know, there are so many people who are uh, willing to make a difference, but they're not necessarily available. Mm -hmm. And if they are available, they become overloaded and paralyzed and think to themselves, what will my little bit do Mm -hmm. to make a difference? And so this book is really dealing with the fact that in order for us to see the type of change that we want, we must go deeper into community because our offerings, our gifts, our skills in partnership and in collaboration with other people um, who are offering their gifts and their skills uh, you know, focusing on the work that is right in front of them, maybe in their own local communities, is what creates the type of change that we wish to see. Change doesn't happen all at once. It happens in small pockets. Mm-hmm. And those create the ripple effects um, all across this country and all across this world uh, that creates the type of larger change that we wish to see. For me, uh, togetherness looks like collaboration. T- uh, togetherness looks like partnering with organizations. Uh, This past uh, pandemic, we launched a campaign called uh, Love Sinks In that went viral Mm. uh, uh, when when the rest of the world was shutting down and Mm. uh, the CDC was telling people to wash their hands. Um, I had this idea to start placing hand washing stations in the streets Mm. uh, to give people uh, experiencing homelessness the ability to wash their hands because we were here over and over. I have nowhere to wash my hands. How yeah. do I keep myself protected? Mm. And we started with five. Uh, we collaborated with more people. We grew to 50 in the city of Atlanta. And now we have portable hand washing stations in 57 cities all around the United States of America. Mm. Oh my gosh. It's because we saw the power in what simply connecting mm-hmm. with other people, leaning into community and this idea of togetherness can do to, to meet a direct need mm-hmm. uh, that people experiencing homelessness uh, were, were, you know, faced with. Yeah. And people have to think like the way that I see change is, is, is a direct correlation with the way that I see community and who mm-hmm. I'm connected with and how I'm offering what I have to contribute in collaboration with other people. Mm, gosh, it's so good. What a what an awesome, uh, a perfect example of seeing like a practical need working and operating in a space that you already comfortable, that you already are in. You know what I mean? Like you you had both of those things going for you in that, in that campaign and then other people get to be a part of it. So I want to be real with you for a minute. And you said you're a bridge builder. So I, I want to ask you if you have anything to say to like, this, if this is a primarily white audience of people who are surrounded by white people who go to white churches, who mostly are in white neighborhoods, and they want to understand more, like, and I, I hate to even ask it because I'm like, it's the question that, but it, they're asking me, right? They're coming and they're saying, I'm, I'm interested. I want to know more. 
what are your bridge building words for people who are asking that question? Yeah. Um, let me, uh, could you give me a second? Cause mm-hmm. I want to be, uh, directly. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. Cause I had just written a guide for this, this organization. So, uh, for me, um, when I think about bridge building, I think about immersing yourself in another's world. Mm. Uh, sometimes we uh, think about um, people's lives through the lens of our own personal experiences mm-hmm. and immersion or compassion rather ask us to go where it may hurt and um, suffer with those who are suffering, mm-hmm. weep with those who are weeping, cry with those who are crying, lament with those who are lamenting, etc. Um, I think through that emerging process, we get a chance to not fully understand what mm-hmm. someone else is going through, but we sit with them long enough where we uh, feel their their pains. I think another thing too that we have to do is actually put our compassion into practice, mm. right? Um, you know, are you holding some, some space for someone who is, uh, you know, grieving or lamenting something that happened in society and culture that they just need a safe space to lament, Mm. uh, without any attacks? Um, you know, are you one who has, uh, used your words not to demean or belittle, but to lift up and affirm, Mm. you know, are you even allowing yourself to emotionally uh, move past sympathy to a place of empathy where you uh, are emotionally uh, invested uh, with safe boundaries mm-hmm. to understand someone else's pain? Um, have you even, another thing too, is like, have you given up your seat, mm-hmm. right? Um, and what I mean by that is giving up your seat of privilege uh, and being honest you know, being willing to admit that, yeah, I'm wrong. I don't know that. Yeah. Instead of like, uh, you know, maintaining your posture and not necessarily taking the posture of student. Uh, one of the things that I've learned in bridge building is that the way to get close uh, to someone is to recognize that their voice too can teach you, mm-hmm. right? Um, but also that they may have an experience that may not be your own that you can learn from Mm -hmm. and grow from. And you don't even have to have any shame about that. You know, I think all of us at uh, various points of our lives have had to wrestle with the gaps, the gaps of information Mm -hmm. that we didn't know growing up, the gaps of information nobody taught us, and even the the pressure and weight from what we were taught Mm -hmm. that wasn't necessarily right. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing too, is practicing proximity. And I'm not talking about the one and done, uh, type of things. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about, uh, committing yourself to being proximate and building those types of relationships where the conversations are ongoing. Yeah. Um, where you're setting aside some time for yourself, uh, to be present with, uh, those persons, uh, from a different walk of life. And mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, the last thing I would say is just making a commitment to defend the weak and vulnerable. Mm. You know, the weak and vulnerable could be any one of us. 
Um, but when we clearly see uh, some of the things that other people are faced with or other communities uh, that are faced with, uh, we have an our obligation to mm-hmm. defend those who uh, are oppressed or uh, or vulnerable or excluded or weak mm-hmm. um, because somebody has done it for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so good. Thank you. Thanks for addressing that and um, giving those really clear steps. And I'd love to ask you just a personal, just share with you like a personal scenario and ask you for your guidance, if you don't mind. Um, so I'm here in a city. My kids go to school in the city. So I drive them to the city and I pass a corner in my city where there's usually five or six um, people who are homeless, usually consistent, consistently the same folks on that corner. I drive down that corner probably four times a week. And it's like, if, if, I, if there was a program, right? I mean, this is what gets us nervous, right? I'm like, if there was a program where I could engage in story, I would want to. But what does it look like to be a person who just drives by the same corner? Like, what can I, what can I do, if anything? What is, what is my... I pray. I do pray. But I'm like, I wish I could be more proximate, but I don't know what is the right approach. Yeah. It's a really great question. Um, I think... Uh, I've been using this term, uh, wise courage. Mm. I love it. There is wisdom in how you build yourself up to those types of encounters. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, one of the things that I've offered people to do was just like get in community with organizations or Mm -hmm. uh, people who are already doing that type of work where Mm -hmm. you're in the community and you get, a sense and a feel of, you know, watching other people lead, watching other mm-hmm. people have conversations, being proximate, but you're still being courageous because mm-hmm. you're taking that step, but you're in a community where you're learning the skills of how to uh, be proximate and, and affirm the dignity of those mm-hmm. experiencing homelessness. Uh, another thing too is uh, I've also encouraged people to be very resourceful. Um, one of my degrees is in uh, counseling and mm-hmm. I'll never for take, uh, forget taking this counseling course about, um, you know, how to be res- resourceful mm. uh, because sometimes you may not have the answers <laughs> that someone need. And mm-hmm. as a counselor, you're not giving answer- answers. You're walking with people as they discover their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but resourcefulness can be translated in our engagement because you know, you may look up all the organizations or resources that surround you that someone experiencing homelessness may not have access to that information, mm. right? And so um, we've seen people put together like informational cards that mm. they pass out um, in like a Ziploc bag with other essentials. Like uh, I know we have public transportation here, like a pr- public ter- transportation card mm. or some of those basic things to help people. Um because you would be surprised of how um, how much of a, a a good Samaritan or a better Samaritan or even a blessing you could be to someone with giving them information that they may not be aware mm-hmm. of, you know? Oh man, and, and I just it, yeah, it's it's this conversation is crazy because this just happened yesterday, Terrence and. I just also feel like God is really at work when we open our hearts and have like we seek and just are curious. So 
yesterday I was standing at a track meet. Of course, we haven't been around other people or other parents at all, just starting to open up. And I just, I'm curious about the woman next to me. And she's like, oh, I work for like a rapid rehousing uh, nonprofit for specifically families experiencing homelessness. Like that happened on the same day where, and then you just said like, well, the first thing that you do is get around people who know what they're doing and just (laughs) learn from them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just met her yesterday. And all of that, right, has to do with trusting how God's like leading you in justice work and also just being curious open with people around you. Yes. Yeah. Um, Curiosity uh, is not what kills a cat curiosity is what leads you to the steps you need to take to mm-hmm. create change. Mm-hmm. Um, curiosity is, has led most of my life. Uh, mm-hmm. This, this wonder, this God, awe wonder of what could happen if, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I've seen it time and time again of people getting involved with our organization uh, asking that same question, what could happen if I use my skills for mm. cooking or my skills for research or my skills for uh, teaching people how uh, to take art and uh, or my skills to teach people carpentry or my mm. skills to networking, uh, help people find stable housing or jobs? What could happen if that's the types of, the, 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 that's the type of question we need to be asking mm. as we think about what do we contribute uh, in connection with others to, to create the type of change that we're all longing to see? And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. I, I oftentimes use the analogy of a puzzle box. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all gone into a store, bought the puzzle, got it home. Uh, and, you know, we start to put all the pieces together where well, all of the pieces make up the, the vision or mm-hmm. the grand idea or the grand narrative of what's presented on the box. Uh, everybody has been given a piece mm. you know, to this grander narrative, this puzzle, mm. right? It's your piece connected with other pieces that other people are holding mm. uh, that actually creates the, the, the beautiful image that we're all wishing to see. The problem is that when um, people have these pieces, they start to measure their pieces uh, against other people's mm-hmm. pieces. Like my piece is too small. Mm-hmm. It will never make a difference, but I'm coming here to let you know that whatever it is that you have to offer your piece is what ultimately will bring peace in this mm-hmm. world. And I just gave you a double entendre. And I did. I liked it. I was like, he's trying to close with a tweet. I like it where it's going. <laughs> just get, I know, just going to preach a little message real quick. No, I love yeah. that. Darren, so good. Your book, When We Stand, The Power of Seeking Justice Together is out on May 18th. And if you guys are looking for these practical steps, I know in the church I'm working with, we're asking these same questions. It's a perfect resource to, to be in a group together and to see how your life just can be changed by bringing that peace. So before we close, I always ask all my guests this question and it brings us in all kinds of places. We're going to come out from where we are. We're going to come up real high here. Can you tell me about a program, product, something that's changing your life right now that you just are loving, small or large? A program or a product? Um... Or a person. I mean, you know. <laughs> or a person. I, um, this year has been all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, currently, I'm in a, uh, a PhD program and um, 
taking these courses. One of the courses is research methods. Mm. And my professor, her name is Dr. Miltich. Um, dealing with the grief and all of the things that the pandemic has brought upon all of us, like I just found myself in a, in a, in a space where I was just trying to, you know, we're all trying to spin mm. our wheels in the mud. Mm. And um, Dr. Miltich would send me like uh, these really short but powerful reminders and like come in on some of the stuff that I was writing mm. in my research. And it was her that just kind of pushed me uh, to continue forward mm. um, all while writing a book and trying to get it out and all those things. And I share that story uh, too, because I had to make myself vulnerable mm. uh, in, in a sense. And like, there's something that happens when we make ourselves vulnerable mm. and allow people to see us. So they know exactly how uh, we need to be served, mm. mm-hmm. uh, not in a self-seeking type of way, mm-hmm. but just to let people know where we are in life. Mm. Uh, so people can be prompted in various ways to, mm-hmm. to encourage you to go forward. And so, you know, celebrate those people in your life that you're yeah. able to be vulnerable with, uh, that can see you for who you are and to, to continue to push you forward. Oh, love that. I know now I have to add, do you have a product person, PhD program or professor that's made a difference in your life? You have all those things. <laughs> Terrence, thank you so much. Um, I'm just praying for greatness from this book and so grateful for your life and what you've offered to us today and um, just really, really glad to get to meet you and have you on the show. Yeah, thank you so much. And I'm your cousin now. <laughs> I'm your cousin. Okay, bye, cousin. <laughs> uh, <all right. laughs> hey, thanks for tuning in to the Let's Be Real podcast. If you have a question for the show, you can send it to me at Nicole at NicoleUnis.com. And hey, if you're enjoying this, we'd love for you to like, subscribe, share it with your friends, pass it on, shout it from the rooftops, whatever you feel like doing, because the reality is let's get as many people getting real as possible. Talk to you soon.